This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Air raid sirens in Tel Aviv and residents of Israel's second-largest city scurry for cover. Video showed missiles streaking through the night sky, some exploding in midair after being hit by Israeli defenses. The surprise attack on Israel came from the neighboring Gaza Strip, a Palestinian enclave which is controlled by Hamas, which the U.S. government, British government, European Union, and others have labeled a terrorist group. Israel wasted no time in launching a counterattack. Both sides acknowledge a horrific death toll. The war coming, perhaps not coincidentally, on the 50th anniversary of the Yom Kippur War, the 1973 surprise attack on Israel by its Arab neighbors. Part and parcel to wars in this still young 21st century is the evolving way in which we learn about them. It is easy for anyone today to post images, text, and so forth, and claim that it is real. Some of it is, some of it is not. In a faraway, fast-moving conflict, how can we tell fact from fiction? How do we know what's true and what we can label disinformation? I'm Paul Brandis, and that's the name of this series, Disinformation. As usual, I'll be joined by Meredith Wilson, Chief Executive Officer of Emergent Risk International, a global risk advisory firm. We're about halfway through season two of our podcast, and in this episode, we'll talk with a technology executive in Tel Aviv that's working around the clock to combat disinformation, not just about the attack on his country, but disinformation in general. Let's go back in time a little history lesson that perhaps can provide some context. You've no doubt heard the well-worn phrase that truth is the first casualty of war. It very often is, and America's own history provides examples. Some think, for example, that the Mexican-American War nearly two centuries ago was launched on the basis of false information. One member of Congress in the 1840s challenged President James Polk, to prove his claims. Let him answer with facts, the congressman said. The president ignored the pesky congressman, an obscure lawmaker by the name of Abraham Lincoln. And remember the Maine? That was the battle cry in 1898 when the United States went to war with Spain after an American battleship, the USS Maine, exploded in Havana Harbor, killing an estimated 268 Americans the worst U.S. naval disaster prior to Pearl Harbor. At the time, newspapers, many run by the legendary press barons William Randolph Hearst and Joseph Pulitzer, claimed that either a Spanish mine or torpedo had sunk the man. The very day after Hearst's flagship newspaper, the New York Journal, first made that claim, it sold more than a million copies in one day, a record. 
But more than a century later, an investigation showed that the most likely cause of the main disaster was an internal explosion sparked by an onboard fire. Hawking newspapers then, and page views, clicks, and shares now, we may get our information differently, but the same old problem of false narratives, well, that remains. And what perhaps makes it worse today, and it's sad to say this, is the democratization of technology. In many respects, that's a very good thing indeed. And yet, when anyone can be a publisher, and when anyone has access to dazzling tools like generative AI, Photoshop, and all the rest, well, the opportunity for mischief can rise exponentially. This means that unlike those 19th century wars I mentioned, disinformation during wartime today can be far more ubiquitous. The ongoing conflict between Israel and Hamas is a prime example. As the battle between Israel and Hamas intensified, a modern-day media baron, Elon Musk of X, as Twitter is now known, urged his 159 million followers to check out two feeds which he said were good for following the war in real time. I'm not going to name them because neither one appears to be credible. Both, for example, spread a phony claim back in May about an explosion near the Pentagon. The claim itself started on a fake Bloomberg account. That fake account was a so-called verified account that gave it the appearance of legitimacy. Musk took that tweet down after a few hours, but not before it was seen by millions. The two sites he touted tweeted their appreciation for the plug. It's important to remember that the accounts that Musk promoted are talking about a war, literally matters of life and death. When it comes to the manufacturing and distribution of content, if there is ever a time for caution and the exercise of responsibility, it is now when lives are at stake. In fairness, it's important to add a postscript to this. Days after Musk promoted those accounts, X said it had removed hundreds of accounts affiliated with Hamas in an effort to curb the spread of what X called, quote, terrorist content. The company's new CEO said the accounts violated its so-called violent and hateful entities policy. This seems like a good time for a break. When we come back, we'll go to Israel and talk with a man at a tech company on the front lines of the war, the war on disinformation. This series on disinformation is a co-production of Evergreen Podcasts and Emergent Risk International, a global risk advisory firm. Emergent Risk International. We build intelligent solutions that find opportunities in a world of risk. Gentlemen, we all know that first impressions matter, and if you're not taking care of your skin, that's going to be the first thing someone notices and instantly either thinks you're way older than you are or you just don't care about your appearance. Show them you do care and make a great first impression with Caldera Lab. I've been using their skincare products for a couple of weeks now, just twice a day, and I can see the difference. The first thing I do when I wake up, even before that first cup of coffee, I use Caldera's Clean Slate. It's a facial wash. They told me it would be refreshing, and they were right. It is. Then I put on a base layer, which hydrates the skin. Really important to do that. And in the evening, the good, that's what it's called, the good. It makes my skin look 
tighter and smoother, makes wrinkles and fine lines less visible. You know, every drop of the good contains millions of antioxidants that help cleanse and protect my skin. Feels great, looks great. In fact, clinical trials have found that 94% of men's skin looked younger and healthier after just a few weeks. You can add me to that group. Want to look better and feel better? Make sure those first impressions are perfect with Caldera Labs, the leader in men's skin care. Here's an exclusive offer available only to listeners of this podcast. 20% off. Just go to calderalab.com. That's C-A-L-D-E-R-A, calderalab.com, and use the promo code DISINFORMATION. Make an unforgettable first impression. People are going to say, you look younger. What's your secret? It's no secret. It's Caldera Labs, the leader in men's skin care, made only with top-tier ingredients. Your skin deserves only the very best. Calderalabs.com. Again, use the promo code DISINFORMATION. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects. Welcome back. The Hamas attack on Israel has exposed a variety of Israeli vulnerabilities, one Israeli security official telling the New York Times, quote, we spend billions and billions on gathering intelligence on Hamas, then in a second, everything collapsed like dominoes. Another vulnerability concerns information, videos, tweets, and so forth. A lot of it is simply false. And what we were able to find in the first two days was uh, tens of thousands of fake accounts across the main social media platforms that were being that had been created and were now being deployed in order to push forward various uh, um, fake false narratives. Rafi Mendelssohn is a vice president of Cyabra, a Tel Aviv-based social media threat intelligence company. It works with the governments and also large multinational corporations to identify threats that are coming from the online and social media space. He says during the first few days of the war, Cyabra saw a spike in fake content. Up to a quarter of the content it was monitoring was deemed to be false. So that's a very high number. Um, but what we also see, and um, before we even come to the narratives that they're putting out, we see a very high level of coordination and planning that went into creating that high level of fake accounts. Um, and the coordination between the accounts themselves. So there was definitely a lot of uh, planning and preparation that went into this in preparation uh, for an event like this. 
uh, and the uh, level of sophistication, coordination, preparation and planning is definitely something more akin to a state actor uh, or a very large, uh, well-organized malicious actor that we've seen with other examples in the past and around the world. Now, uh, that's very interesting when you talk about the, the evidence you have seen, Rafi, indicates perhaps the participation of a state actor. That was my next question. There's talk that uh, the Iranians are involved behind the scenes in this attack. Uh, the Russians, who, of course, are aligned in certain ways with the Iranians. Uh, how far can you go in terms of peeling away the layers of the onion to find out who are these state actors that you suspect are behind this? Is it the Russians? Is it the Iranians? Is it uh, somebody else? I mean, how do you know? Well, that's the excellent question that we often receive that, that everyone wants to know the answer for. I think I saw yesterday that the uh, White House uh, spokesperson said that they have, unrelated to social media, but they have seen um, a very close coordination and they believe that Hamas has received the support of Iran, but they don't have the the specific evidence. Uh, and I think that would be the case here as well. It's very difficult to be able to say, okay, here is the room that it's taking place. Remember, cyber is only scanning publicly available information. However, there's a lot of knowledge that we can garner from what we are seeing in terms of the content being put out there in terms of the levels of sophistication, in terms of the planning that's gone into this. And um, when I mentioned about state actors, that's not to say that Cyabra can conclusively draw uh, uh, and say that it is a state actor, but what the level of sophistication that we are seeing here is not a group of sympathetic supporters that have woken up one day. This is uh, a level of organization coordination that uh, is akin to a state actor or the kind of state actor uh, activities that we've seen in the past. Um, so yes, so this has involved a high level of planning um, that uh, I think we should all be aware of. These are the times we live in. False narratives are everywhere. Meredith Wilson notes that while disinformation during wartime is hardly new, Russia's war on Ukraine and now the conflict in the Middle East have shown us that like warfare itself, it has evolved. I think one of the big things right now that we're seeing is just this avalanche of disinformation. So it's always been there. Uh, it, it has always been a tool of war. Uh, so that's not new. But what is new is the proliferation of AI tools now that allow you to create disinformation at a massive scale and just absolutely flood media, you know, media channels, and, and when I say media channels, I mean channels through which you might get your media, whether it's Google News, Bing News, uh, whether it's uh, Twitter or um, X, as we call it now. Um, there are a lot more tools out there and very cheap tools that you can use to create masses of disinformation, to doctor video, to doctor photos in ways that we couldn't do even two years ago. So one of the big trends right now is just this absolute flood of disinformation. Also bad, Wilson adds, is something that is now emerging into the information ecosystem are disinformation attacks on organizations that call out disinformation. One such organization is the highly respected Bellingcat, a Dutch company that focuses on fact-checking and open-source intelligence. There was a, a post about Bellingcat saying that the Ukrainians were providing arms to Hamas. That was absolutely not true. 
and um, Bellingcat, Bellingcat had to come out and debunk that information. So there will always be these, you know, these new ways of trying to fool people, and so it's just as important to be keeping an eye on people who follow this, the, you know, the companies and the governments that are really good at rooting out disinformation, the EU, um, so that you can get a feel for what might be coming next or what else you might need to look for. Syabra's Mendelssohn agrees that AI, while holding so much potential for good, is a godsend for malicious actors. I think the biggest challenge, both for Syabra and also as a whole industry, is being able to tackle, I suppose, the new um, uh, front that's opened up in the disinformation war of the increasing believability of content as a result of generative AI tools that now allows malicious actors to be able to create more believable content that is fake. It might not be incorrect uh, content that is being created by Gen AI, but by its nature, it is, uh, it's inauthentic. Uh, and so uh, that's something that's incredibly important. Um, generative AI and the tools and the capabilities that it's allowed us to do is, is mostly positive, right? It's fantastic. All of the different ways that we can use it, we're still not uh, fully sure of how the, the potential and how we can fully use it. But as Cyabra, we're thinking in the mindset or from the perspective of a malicious actor. And if you're a malicious actor, being able to use generative AI, especially if language is not your mother, if English is not your mother tongue, you can now create text or images that are very, very believable. Efforts by Cyabra and others have given rise to a new and important phrase, deceptive imagery persuasion. Absolutely. And I, I can give a good example of this. So, so because there's so much imagery and videos around this particular um, conflict, and unfortunately, um, many of those videos are, are harrowing and, and horrible to be able to, wa to watch, we are seeing less Gen AI created videos, less fake videos themselves. But we, what we are seeing are videos that are being used and taken out of context. And so this is a, a tactic um, that is sometimes referred to as DIP, deceptive imagery persuasion. And so it might be a, a video that is taken a small section of and then posted out with a certain message or a certain narrative and then pushed out by a fake account. Um, now that is what we are seeing in abundance of. One of the false narratives that we're seeing is uh, um, videos and instances of um, Hamas operatives, terrorists, who are uh, standing over hostages, but they are not or do not appear to be abusing them or being violent towards them. Deceptive imagery persuasion, fancy name for disinformation. Thanks to Rafi Mendelssohn of Syabra speaking to us from Tel Aviv, sound from The Independent, The Guardian, and Maine Public Broadcasting. Our sound designer and editor, Noah Fouts. Audio engineer, Nathan Corson. Executive producers Michael D'Aloya and Gerardo Orlando. And on behalf of Meredith Wilson, I'm Paul Brandis. Thanks so much for listening. This is Peter. And this is Tom. We want to tell you guys a little bit about our podcast. Tom and I met in college, became best friends, and then teachers almost 20 years ago. Sometimes school just does not allow us to elaborate on the topics that we find interesting, like the real shark attacks that inspired the movie Jaws, or the real historical context to Indiana Jones artifacts. Where does cereal come from? Or are zombies real? Does Ben Franklin really deserve to be on a $100 bill? 
On our podcast, just like in our class, there are no stupid questions. Just two friends having a lighthearted conversation about history, pop culture, and the context of current events. Listen to History Teachers Talking Podcast from Evergreen Network, anywhere you get your podcasts.